The text that calls for our attention this Lord's Day is the prophet Isaiah's words, recorded in chapter 61, especially these words, where he says, He will grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. You're invited to be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. They had come from a good distance, from Jerusalem all the way to Bethany there by the Jordan River where John was baptizing. And they were not going to go home without an answer. Who was this man dressed in camel's hair and baptizing out at the Jordan River? They had come to get the answer from the man himself. They wanted to know who he thought he was. Well, they had their own ideas, but they wanted to hear it from his honey and locust-filled mouth. They wondered if he thought he was the Christ, but he quickly told them that he did not. They wondered if he thought he was Elijah. Well, no, not as far as he knew. Was he perhaps the prophet like Moses that had been promised? No, not that either. So who was he? Well, according to his own confession, he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, that one straightening for the way for the Lord to come. And indeed, that is who John the Baptist was. We can say that there is no person in all the Bible that really typifies what Advent is about more than John the Baptist. More than being a Christmas figure, he is an Advent figure. He's always there right before Jesus' arrival. You know, he did not meet Jesus at the Nativity, but rather he met Jesus when that newly pregnant Mary went to visit Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant with John the Baptist. That's where John and Jesus met, John being just six months older than Jesus himself. But John is always there first, preparing the way for Jesus. Conceived first, born first, and yes, even out preaching first. His ministry at the Jordan started probably also about six months before Jesus would begin his public ministry after having been baptized by the same John the Baptist. John, you see, knew who he was. He knew what his role was, and it's good that he did. He knew what he had been called to do by the Father to prepare that way for his coming. He knew who he was. Do you know who you are? Well, I mean, I suppose you know your name and your date of birth. You know all sorts of things about yourself. But what I'm asking today is, do you know what your God-given role in life is? Just like John the Baptist knew what his was. Well, you might say, that's pretty easy, Pastor. I'm a Christian, and I know that well. Well, okay, so you're a Christian. But what does that mean? And how did you become one? What does God want you to do because you are one? Well, today, the prophet Isaiah helps us answer those questions. 
Although he answers them using a metaphor that is probably not one that would come first to mind for us. He says that while John was the voice crying out in the wilderness, you and I are oaks of righteousness. That's what we've been called to be. He says that we are the plantings of the Lord in order that he might be glorified among the nations. Later on in the same prophecy, he says that we are to be plantings of righteousness and praise before all the nations of the world. It's important to know who you are because then you know what you are to do. And so if you are an oak of righteousness, what are you to do? Well, you're to sing the praises of the one who made you an oak of righteousness. For surely you did not become an oak of righteousness based on your own strong personal character. But you are an oak of righteousness because the Lord has planted you to be just that. Martin Luther said regarding this text from Isaiah, A Christian does not just come into being, but he is planted and produced by the work of God. Christ is the gardener. Therefore a Christian is a divine work and a planting of God. For through the word, He is uprooted from the world and is transplanted into this garden and is watered. Yes, indeed, Christ has taken you out of the ground of this world and has transplanted you into the garden of his church. And because he is the gardener, you are an oak of righteousness. You stand strong and mighty and solid. You are holy And all of this, not because of you, but because Jesus has forgiven you and has given you his spirit in order that you might stand upright and that you might walk in newness of life. And because of all of this, you should know what you are to do. Since he has placed you there in his garden, strong and mighty, he wishes now to open your mouth to declare his praises that all the world might know. Yes, you were to praise him for deciding not to throw away the world when sin entered into it, but instead deciding to save it. You were to praise him for taking action on that plan by sending his only begotten son down from his right hand right into the muck of humanity. You were to praise him for calling you to the knowledge of his son Jesus in order that you might be planted with his holy people. Yes, you get to praise God. And God says that when you praise him before the nations, he will do another magnificent thing. He will use the words of your mouth to create and sustain faith in the hearts of other people. Parents, God uses your praises to create and sustain faith in your children. Know this, neighbors, God wishes to use your praises to create and sustain faith in the neighbors up and down your street or just down that country road. Workers, know this, God wants you to use your praise in order that he might create and sustain faith in those you work with or in those whom you serve through your work. In one way you could say that there are really two chief things that God plants us to do. The first is to sing his praises, and the second is to convert other people to that same faith through our praises. 
Yeah, so many of the Old Testament rites and rituals faded away with the coming of Christ. But that call to praise God as an offering of sacrifice and thanksgiving, well, that one continues forever. So how are you doing at your calling? I mean, imagine if John the Baptist, knowing that he was supposed to go out and prepare the way for the Lord by going out and preaching and baptizing, decided instead never to go out to the River Jordan every day. What about you? What if you know that as a parent that you have a critical role in passing along the faith to your children, but yet you never open the word or share its wisdom and joy in your home? Neighbors, what if you will know that God would love to use you to sing his praises among your neighbors, but the truth is you don't even know who they are and don't really care to know who they are? Workers, what if God has called you to sing his praises among the nations through a role you have been given at work, and yet you use the connections that you make at work never for anything other than strictly business endeavors? You know, we have all failed. Or to put it biblically, we have all fallen short of the glory of God that he intends for us to bring upon him. While he has made us mighty oaks, we often have looked like rotten cottonwoods after a tornado comes through. So we best listen to John the Baptist and his message again today. We best heed his call to repentance, his call to make straight the way for the Lord's coming. Let's admit that we have not always stood tall in the callings that God has given us. And it's no less okay just because we think perhaps that our calling isn't as, as important as John's. No, let us confess that every work God calls us to should be viewed by us as essential, for it is essential to God. Let us confess, then, that our failings are grave, and they matter. And if that is true, let us fall to our feet, or to our knees, rather, in confession. Why? Well, because Isaiah tells us that one is coming. One is coming who can and deal can and will deal with our failings. Yes, coming is the one whom John said he was not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. And yet, amazingly indeed, while that one is worthy, or uh, we are worthy not of that one, he makes himself to serve us. The one whom John the Baptist correctly said should not have anyone just think they could walk up and do something for him, instead comes and does something for us. Coming not to be served, but to serve us, to lay down his life for us as a ransom. Listen how he himself declared what his own mission was in that prophecy from Isaiah we read today. The coming one says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Yes, that one is coming. And he comes to bring you the good news that your sins and your failings are forgiven and that your life is now with Christ. He comes to free you from the prison of sin and give you new life in his garden as a mighty oak of righteousness. Luther ended his commentary on these verses this way. 
In this way, the prophet comforts himself and sets before himself Christianity as a most beautiful garden. As if to say, oh, what a lovely garden this will be, where Christ himself is the gardener. All of the godly there will be trees of righteousness and peace. Indeed, what a lovely garden, where the coming one, Christ, is the gardener. He comes to us today in his word and in his supper. And that means that you leave here today as an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, in order that he might be glorified. And that is reason to give thanks. That is reason to rejoice, just as the pink candle tells us we ought to do. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Amen. <laughs>